new Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson, providing key insights to the most important stories affecting the Black community. Here's your host, Nate Wilson. What's good? It's Nate Wilson from the New Black Society podcast, episode one. Uno with a doctor. She's a doctor, y'all. My good friend, Dr. Christina Harris. We talk about a lot. We go there today. We talk about the importance of black events, dating. We talk about feminism, misogyny, black men relating to black women, horrible stories at dive bars and the challenges educated black women face. As always, you can hear the podcast on wherever podcasts are played. I drop new ones every week. Enough of me talking. Let's get to the show. My guest today is Dr. Christina Harris. She's the professor of Africana Studies at Stockton University. She completed her undergraduate degree in secondary English education at the Pennsylvania State University, that's Penn State, and then both her master's and doctoral degrees in the Department of Africology and African American Studies at Temple University. She's the current professor of Africana Studies at Stockton University where she teaches classes focused on historical and contemporary issues faced by the diasporic Black community. Her research focuses on digital pan-Africanism, Black women's travel writing, and the Black LGBTQ experience. She lives in Philadelphia, where she actively volunteers in her community and facilitates Kwanzaa celebrations. She offers implicit bias training and DEI consultation to corporate educational and healthcare organizations. She is currently writing her first book, which examines the liberatory potential of technology and social media to build connections throughout the African diaspora. My God, it's such an honor and privilege to have you on the show. Dr. Christina Harris, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm not bad. Okay, so on a scale of one to 10, how hungover were you this morning from uh, what happened last night? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I think it was about a six. A six, a six. All right, so for people who don't know, you uh, ran an event last night. What was the event called? Uh, it was called the Philly Tribe Classic, and it was basically um, a pop-up picnic that a couple of my friends and I did. Um, there's a lot going on right now. The world is kind of going crazy in general, and Black people are, as always, um, experiencing that on a deeper level in so many ways. And uh, we just really wanted to create a space where people could experience Black joy. Um, I think that a lot of us don't realize the impact of canceling all of these great events that we're used to, Afropunk, um, the Roots Picnic, um, the um, all these festivals and concerts and events that people go to all summer, um, you know, really has an impact on people emotionally and spiritually. And so we just really wanted to, as an act of resistance, create a space for Black joy um, in a healthy, safe, and fun manner. And it was amazing. It was amazing. It looked amazing. And I think those type of events are actually so critical because I actually wrote a Facebook post not too long ago about how the George Floyd situation, the Breonna Taylor situation, it took a hell of a lot out of me. And I just didn't care to do anything 
uh, for like a week. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to deal with life as normal. And then I realized something that was so significant. Um, I was really dependent on Black events, Black vacations, mm. and Black meetups to keep me sane. Uh, yeah. I know right before the coronavirus thing started, I had tickets to Afro Nation in Puerto Rico. I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to going to that. Mm. You know, just to be on the beach, listening to, you know, Afro music, eating, you know, all types of Pan-African foods. And, and then the Roots Picnic, which is like, I know so many people in the Philly area are hurting that we kind of miss that. They did have something virtual, but it's just not the same. And of course, like the American Black Film Festival in Miami is tough. And Christina, last year, when I had gone to the Roots Picnic, um, I was talking to these uh, Black women from DC and uh, they were you know, these Black professional women. And I was asking them, do you believe that African-Americans can ever be conscious and have peace of mind and collective prosperity at the same time? And they said, no, they said, no. <laughs> I said, well, how do you even find peace of mind and prosperity? And they's like, you find it by going to events like this. You find it by going to a roots picnic. You find it by going to uh, an Afro punk. You find it by going to Essence Fest. Uh, you find it by going to Black Ski Weekend. You know, these types of events are so important because it's, we're not meant to be alone, right? That's so true. And we're definitely a communal people. Like that's, it's in our blood, it's in our DNA, it's in our melanin. Um, and I know that I always feel so recharged, like noticeably recharged after I go to events where I'm just surrounded by beautiful black people having a great time. And so this event, like how many people showed up to your event yesterday? Um, so we actually had about 45 people. We didn't want it to get, you know, too crazy because coronavirus. Right. Um, so that was actually a great number. We were in a public park. Everyone was spread out and social distancing, but still able to connect with each other. So it was wonderful. So it was more, it was like a little bit like the, I, I got uh, the Vuve Clico Classic, like they have that up there in Jersey City. I got the I got those vibes looking at those photos. Was that what you were like going after? Yeah, so this was definitely, you know, really a chance to just again for black women especially, um, and definitely black men also, because at the polo classic, the men were on point. <laughs> um, like they <laughs> they really brought it. And um I know that just, you know, for black people dressing up has always been something that's important to us. Um, you know, going back to on Sundays, the way that Black people have always um, dressed up for church so much more than um, any other races and ethnicities, it's been, it's, it does something for us, for our spirits. It makes us feel happy. It makes us feel proud. It makes us feel alive. Um, and it makes us feel beautiful and seen. And so that's really what we wanted to recreate. And, um, and we all went to the, the Polo Classic last year, had a great time, but there were a lot of criticisms about um, how it's changed since Black people have started attending en masse. 
And so we wanted to create something black owned that had that same vibe without the tinge of racism to it. <laughs> so. I love that. I no, I love that. That that makes such that makes so much sense. I never even thought about it from that perspective. Uh, getting dressed up does something for the soul. Cause I know before the Easter in in, in church service, like you had your suit lined up, mm-hmm. creased the pants creased in the cleaners, in the <laughs> barbershop the day before. It doesn't matter if I had to wait like four or five hours to get my hair cut. I was gonna have my hair cut, I was gonna be dressed up. That was definitely like something that I can remember. Only black people really do stuff like that. <laughs> I never really thought of it from that perspective. Uh, but you mentioned something that was pretty interesting to me. You said, you know, something for black women, but also for black men. How many of the 45 people that attended your event were black men yesterday? Uh, so actually one person came with his significant other um, and that was it. None of the guys that I actually invited um, showed up and that was so, a little disappointing. So it was two, two men and 43 women of the 45. No, one, one man. One man showed up. Oh, okay. One okay. man so, that got dragged by his girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one woman brought her boyfriend, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. And then there was the other 44, four of the 43 were women. Talk to me a little bit about this. Like, have you noticed that in all the events that you go to that are like this, like the professional events, what is it from your perspective, why men don't show? You know, I've really been trying to understand that. I've had conversations with Black men in my life. um, And a lot of them just say that guys don't do stuff like that like we just get together and chill and hang out like I know guys spend money so I don't think that it's that I know that they you know enjoy going out to certain events like sporting events you know you see nothing but guys um but there's something about that and I've been um talking to guys a lot about that that lately and I actually had ran into this group of of young guys that was a friend group and I just had to talk to them because I'm not used to seeing something like this and they were maybe late 20s and had come to Philly from New York, Ohio, and Jersey to get together and meet and go to the Joe Budden podcast and um, and they were they were actually when I saw them they were heading out to brunch and that's what really caught my attention and I was like yo more black men need to go to brunch like where are y'all at where like we be looking for you at these events especially single black women you know hoping to find a a black man that you know meets her standards and expectations these are the type of places that you know we're hoping to see y'all and they just ain't there they're not um and I think this is something that we should get into uh, as a part of this podcast. I think it's very interesting when I, I've obviously had a ton of conversations with guys about this very topic. Like, why don't you show up to, you know, Urban League events? Why don't you show up to NAACP events? Sometimes Black guys will go out. Like, you mentioned, we just talked about the, the Vuv Clico classic 
in, in Jersey City, which I have been to a few years back, um, there's guys there. They show That's one that. of the, yeah, that's one of the only events that really does have a strong male presence. Um, and I was really surprised and enjoyed seeing that um, so much. But I think that it's an anomaly. And that's what it I want to know why. What do you think? Okay, so I have a whole theory. <laughs> I have a whole theory on this. And, you know, there's, there's two sides of it. You have the, the married guys or the guys who are in committed relationships. Mm-hmm. And then you have the single guys. Now, I'm going to admit, most people don't care about the guys in the committed relationships and, and, and whatever they're going through because ultimately the thought process is, well, you have a significant other, who cares? It's really about the single guys. But I'm going to start with the guys who are in partner situations because it's important to identify um, what's going on from their perspective. I know for me, I used to go to every single art show, art gallery, black professional, um, you know, mimosa meetup that, that I could find. Uh, I used to love to go to those type of events. And the thing about it is, okay, for me, I would tell you about one event that I went to. I went to this one black professional's event. I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but I went to this one event in Philly. And as soon as I get there, uh, this woman immediately approaches and she starts talking to me. You know, we're talking about art and everything like that. And this woman, she's looking good. She's looking so damn good. And you know what I'm saying? She has a a beautiful dress on, you know, she got the little, uh, the little V-neck thing. So I could see a little bit of the titties and everything like that. I mean, it was just, it was hard to not look like I was thirsty. (laughs) And and it was very challenging. Now, mind you, Christina, I'm I'm married. Like I have a part. Like I have a partner. I've been with my wife for 15 years. So, wow. yes, it has been a long time. So I, I'm 36. I've been with her since I was 21. So, <clears throat> my whole adult life, I've pretty much been in a committed relationship. But there was a time where we were kind of like in a long distance relationship, where she was living in the New York area, I was in Philly area. So it would just be like life is normal down here in Philly, you know, and I like to go to these events and go to these events. And then, oh my God, you see these, you have these women there in my face. Women are not direct, right? They don't come up to be like, yo, I think you're good looking. I want to holler at you. What's your number? I want to talk to you later. They don't do that. What they they'll don't, do. And I wish they would. You're right. We'll talk about that later. That, let, <laughs> yes, please. Let's look. Let's talk about that. But they don't do that. They'll sit there and they'll have these roundabout conversations and it'll be indirectly flirty. And mm-hmm. when you have a significant other or a girlfriend or a fiance, like you have to find a way as a man to slip that in there without making it look awkward because she's not really bringing it up. Right. But she's <laughs> intimating what she's saying, like, you know, so she's sitting there, she's having this conversation. I mean, and she's just going on. She's just talking, talking, talking. And it's probably like 20 minutes and then she's talking and she's flirting. And what she's trying to do is give me a, a, like a basketball analogy. 
mm. basically letting Set me get a layup. And that, <laughs> thank you. That's better. That's better than what I was going to say. She, she set me up for the alley-oop. And so mm-hmm. she's throwing the ball. All I have to do is jump and slam. And so I had to finally just slip in some sort of way. I think she said something around the likes of like, you know, um, I love to eat Thai food and I love this place in New York. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, my girl likes that. And she's like, oh, you have a girlfriend? I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll be right back. Never came back. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing you know, I see her talking to her girlfriends, other group of girlfriends. Now they all looking at me funny, looking at me at the the corner of their eye. You know, and they're kind of giving me this look of semi disgust. Like, what are you doing here? Like, oh. why are you even here? Like, you know, you, 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 why are you even out here? You say you, you got a girl, like, go home. Like, go home, Roger. Like, that's basically the vibe. <laughs> that's that the you vibe you were getting. getting. That's the vibe that I start getting. And you start feeling awkward. And it's just like, you know what? This isn't, I don't feel comfortable being here anymore. These women are looking for something specific. Uh, and I don't know if they're here to just mingle, chill, whatever, talk, or they're looking to see if they can find a potential partner. So I'm going to bounce from this because then you have the other dudes who are in committed relationships. They'll go to these type of things, but then they just kind of say, damn it, the ball's up in the air. Let me slam dunk this thing. I'm going to get her number. I'm going to start talking to her. She's available, yada, yada, yada. And that's how you start falling into something that you probably shouldn't be falling into so one quick thing i think that um in that situation specifically i think that you being there alone probably made them assume that you were single right fair point and i've seen that also like when I, i like going places but i'll go out to eat by myself to the movies like i don't care i'll go to events by myself sometimes if nobody's Nobody feels like going or it's a last minute thing. But I always find that people talk to me more and interact with me more when I'm alone. And so Mm -hmm. some people see that as like, you know, oh, you look like you need companionship. So Mm -hmm. that may may have been, you know, one thing that sort of gave them that idea. Um, But, you know, maybe if you were there with like a guy friend, you know, there wouldn't have been any assumptions. I don't know. I don't know this woman. Fantastic point. And that, that, that's a very fair point. And I've also considered that because how, how on earth would they know? Like, they don't know uh, that, I, that I have a long distance girlfriend or I had a long distance girlfriend at that time. They had no idea. So there's nothing wrong with shooting your shot. It's just how women, <laughs> how women shoot their shots. They don't. Uh, they basically... <laughs> put themselves in your eye periphery so you can shoot mm-hmm. your shot. And uh, it's always funny. It's, it's flattering. It's flattering. I try to stay humble about it. But, you know, those are kind of the reasons you start to feel like, well, if I'm not rolling with my significant other um, or if I'm not rolling like three, four deep with dudes, I'm just not going to go. And then that kind of carries into the other side. And the other side, I think, is far more interesting or any other single women who might, might be listening to this podcast um, about why single dudes don't show up. And this is why single dudes do not show up to these type of things. And it's a challenge that I want to make 
after I give my point because I think a lot of dudes are missing out. And they're missing out for two reasons. And I'll, I'll put a lot of detail on both reasons. Number one, they're looking at women through a very uh, narrow lens. Mm-hmm. They're looking at women through a very narrow lens. And what I mean by that is you're only looking at women as potential sex partners right. and nothing else. So if you're looking at a woman as nothing but a potential sex partner, then basically you're going to limit what you're going to show yourself to. Mm-hmm. So this is how I describe it, right? If you're a single dude, especially if you're a black guy, because I am a black guy, and I know this, <clears throat> you're going to look at yourself like you are a basketball team. Now, you know basketball team, go, continue with our basketball analogies. They have home games, you have away games. You know it's easier to win at home than it is to win away. Okay. It's always easier to win at home because you're more comfortable with your surroundings. You got the crowd cheering you on. You know, you you pretty much you didn't have to travel very far. You don't have to go out of your comfort zone, so to speak, to play your game. Now, mm-hmm. the object of the game, the win, is sexual stimulation. Sexual stimulation in, in some form. Now, you don't necessarily have to have sex every time you go out. It would be great, but let's be realistic here. It's not going to happen every time. But if you can get some sexual stimulation, dance, you know, get close, lots of flirting, that is a win for guys. So for guys, what's the home court? uh, I will tell you. For guys, the home court is the club. The home okay. court is the strip club. The home court is the nightclubs. The, cl- the home court is the bashment parties. The home court is fets, juves, uh, Caribbean celebrations. You'll never run out of dudes at those things. They're going to show <laughs> up to those type of things. They're going right. to be there. Because why? Because they know that women are going to be drinking. Women are going to be dancing. There's not going to be a whole bunch of talking because the environment is set for women to show off their sexuality. So if I can get access to that, it's cheap. It doesn't take a, a tremendous amount of effort and I can get some sexual stimulation. That's a win. That's a mm. win. Now, the away games are things like the Philly Tribe Classic. An away game is those art gallery black professional meetups. An away game is something like... Uh, you know, a a panel discussion, maybe, or something of that nature. Those are more challenging environments to get sexual stimulation. Not to say that you can't link up with a woman and, and, you know, be extra flirty and, and, and get her number or something like that. Not to say that you can't do that. But when you're in those environments, you're forced to have to put in more effort meaning I have to dress a certain way. I have to uh, look a certain way and I need to be socially adjusted. I need to talk and have a conversation and show this woman that I have some sense. I can't just come up from behind her and grab her waist and pull her into my crotch so we can dance. Right. 
You know, right. I've got to come to her face and have a conversation. And we have to, and then she's, I'm going to have to expose what I know about anything from politics to the latest social events to my opinions and all those type of things. And that can potentially turn a woman off because women, they are attracted to what they hear more so maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, than what they see. What they hear is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's why guys got to have game. They don't got to look good. They just got to have game. They got to have game. And, And part of having game is knowing what to say, how to say it. You know, but if you, you know, if I come to, uh, let's say we're at a, an art gallery, professional, black professionals meetup, right? And, you know, you're a beautiful, educated woman. I mean, you've got your PhD, for God's sakes. And you come up, I'm a really handsome guy. And, you, you know, we have a conversation and you say, oh my God, you know, this, this is such a great break from, you know, what's been going on, the Breonna Taylor situation, you know, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I know that's difficult, but what about black on black crime? You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> what's that going to do to uh, you? That is uh, going to dry everything up like the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. It is going to ups. You're going to look at that guy, and he's going to. He went from a ten to how low? How low would he go? Oh, like a three. A three. <laughs> seven, <laughs> seven points. Seven <laughs> points. So this is the challenge that I make to a lot of the single Black guys out there is like, don't be afraid to show up to these events and play these away games because there's a tremendous amount of quality women at these events that can definitely upgrade your life outside of just the sexual stimulation. Furthermore, so I think that's a great point. Oh, go ahead. Okay, go, go, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I was going to say, furthermore, it's give yourself an opportunity to challenge yourself to be up to date on, you know, just to be socially adjusted, you know, and not to have a whole bunch of ignorant, you know, uh, philosophies. Because being out is the best way to sharpen your ideology, your philosophy, and your outlook on life. So I would just say to those guys, don't be afraid to do that. Perfect, perfect. So your second point that you just made is actually what I was about to get at because I get the whole analogy about the home game and the away game and, you know, it's easier in these circumstances and situations to... Um, talk to women to get a win that it is in other situations. Um, And I get, you know, kind of how focused guys are on sex. But outside of that, um, like, guys are people too. Mm. And so even outside of how easy or how difficult it is to attract a woman, um, to catch a woman, like, I just want to know, do guys not enjoy going to these sort of events just for their own personal gratification like I I go to events just to like enlighten my mind um I love going to to lectures to book talks because I like to read um going to an art show a poetry event brunch because I love food like do guys not like 
food and art and books and <laughs> thinking. <laughs> that's that's yeah. my kind of like. I I would say yes. <laughs> well, listen, fair point. I, I would say that they do. Um, it just depends on, you know, who you're going to. I love, 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 love. And, and, and listen, it's not just, it, I, I love a book lecture, right? And this is just the nerd in me, right? But who I go to here may have, you know, credence. Like, I know that he's a polarizing subject to few. I know Dr. Boyce Watkins, for example. Now, I'm just going to say for the record, that's my man, Hunter Grant. That's my guy, Dr. Boyce. And I have very, you know, I, we have a personal relationship. But when Dr. Boyce came to Philly, I'm, I went. And he, he spoke at University of Penn. There was a whole bunch of dudes there. Um, I know that there's a guy, and I'm going to remember his name, Dennis Kimbrough. He wrote uh, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. Um, I, he had a, a lecture at um, University of Pennsylvania as well. We wrote uh, another book, The Secrets of Black Millionaires. I showed to that, I could not wait to go to that one. I wasn't even thinking about any women. Uh, I went to hear him and to get my book signed by him. And uh, ironically enough, they didn't have any books. But uh, nonetheless, I, I just wanted to shake his hand and meet uh, Dennis Kimbrough. I just wanted to hear from him. So the guys were out there, we like it. Uh, and, and there are black men who show up to these events. Uh, maybe you have to consider the artist or the author or who's speaking. Um, as far as poetry, I hate poetry. <laughs> I don't like spoken word. Are you there? That's a fair point. Yeah. Okay. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, poetry is not for me. Um, I love art. I love a good art show. Uh, I just, you know, and I have a lot of guy friends and I invite them. I invite them. I'm like, yo, come to this. You will like it. And they just will not show. What they are the reasons show. that they give though? Uh, it's just out of their comfort zone. It's out of their comfort zone. And I think that there's honestly a fear, Christina, of just being exposed as a dummy. Like, they don't want to be exposed as somebody mm. who's foolish, you know, and their ego is, a tie, is tied to their image, and they want to stay in an environment where they can keep their brand uh, pristine, so to speak. So if I go to a sports bar, I'm comfortable. My brand is, hey, um, I know sports. I know everything about sports. I know about the game. If I'm watching a basketball game, I know everything about that. I could talk about that, you know, with my eyes closed and my hands high behind my back. I know, you know, what to order. I know what to drink. I'm comfortable in this environment because the conversation and, and what we're here to do and talk about and interact with is something that I know. I may not know what to expect at an art show. I may not know what to expect at a lecture. I may not know what to expect at, you know, a, a Philly Tribe classic. You know, mm. what, what are we doing? What are we talking about? And, 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 and what's this about? So I think there's a fear of looking stupid 
And that's one of the biggest Even for educated black men, you think they have this fear? Sure. We all have fears. We all have fears and we all have, uh, you know, we all have our, our, our hangups and, mm-hmm. and, and, and issues like that. Um, for me, I don't, for me, I just read so much that I'm 100% comfortable. But I feel uncomfortable <laughs> in other places, though. Listen, you want to know where I feel really uncomfortable? Where? Hood bars. Hood really? bars. I, I can't do a hood bar to save my life. I wow, so you were like lying when you said that you bougie. You real I bougie. am bougie. Oh, listen. I'm bougie type bougie. <laughs> you know, and even your uh, even our mutual friend Cassandra tried to get on me. Uh oh, yeah, about, I know she did cuz she uh, on not being classes. We got to we got to check ourselves on that. Yeah, but um, <laughs> listen, it's just not going to happen. Um certain mm. things I just can't deal with because I went to um what do you call it? the crab house? You know where crab house is? On, Which uh, one? Crab house on uh, Germantown and Shelton. Okay, yep. Okay, so yep. <laughs> I remember my first time going there. Uh, Go ahead, tell me, tell me your experience. Oh <laughs> man, this this is what I got into it with Cassandra about because I told her I was like, shut up, like because because I feel how I feel, but she, she was just like, you need to stop being so classy. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the story, and I'm not gonna exaggerate. And I'm not going to be biased. <laughs> and I want you to just tell me. I don't think that's possible, but go ahead. I'm going to try to minimize it. I'm going to minimize it. This is what happened. Okay. So we go, me and two guy friends, we go to uh, the craft house, right? This is literally, I think, my first time in there. I don't particularly like it because there's always a bunch of dudes playing craps outside anyway. So it's just like, this isn't really, really my spot. Uh. It's not my portion, but whatever. I'm going to show up because my homie wanted to celebrate a part of his birthday in this spot. So <laughs> we first start going to the bar. We at the bar and then, you know, I don't know. I don't understand it. Like my, my friends, they're kind of more, my two friends, they were like more, I guess, blue collar. I don't want to say they from the hood, but they would tell you they from the hood. So okay. <laughs> they were sitting there, they were having a conversation with these girls and the girl was offering him like a piece of the fried fish that she got in the platter. And I think I tried to look over and she just looked at me like, I don't know you. I was like, okay. Mm. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I didn't know how to talk to these, to the women in there. I really just didn't know what to say because whatever I was interested in or whatever I wanted to talk about, they were just like, oh, okay. And they were just like, yeah. So I really didn't know how to talk to them. So, but what really hit me was when my platter came out and then this one woman came over and she started just talking to us. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to chat it up with her. So we start talking about, you know, where we from and, you know, oh, you know, this person, you know, that person. And then we finally found a mutual friend because we're all from like Mount Airy, Cedarbrook, Sheltham, whatever. So I'm like, okay. Then my platter came out and then she was buying us beers. I was like, oh, well, that's nice, I suppose. Mm-hmm. She brought us around. That's nice. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> my platter came out. Now, let me tell you about my platter, right? I got the steamed fish. Or I think it was like steamed fish. 
and like rice. Cause I didn't even order anything fried or cause you know, bougie, but still I got, <laughs> I got the platter. <laughs> I got the platter and um, oh, I tried to offer her a piece of like the fish and like a little bit of my platter to her the same way that girl at the bar offered a piece mm -hmm. of her fish to my dude. And he just kind of took his fingers and just took a piece of the fish off. And it was just like, it was seamless. I was like, that was, that was smooth. <laughs> I figured she was going to do the same thing. She's like, oh, thank you. She took my fork and started eating my rice. <laughs> <laughs> and then she took the fork, the same fork she just put in her mouth with the rice and then stuck it in the fish. It was taking like little chunks of fish off. I looked oh, at her man. like, are you out of your damn mind? Are you serious? Oh man. She was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. I was like, oh, hell no. Nah. You can have it. <laughs> you can have it. And I put oh, this thing out on, God. I put this thing out on, uh, uh, on social media. Cassandra gonna be like, you know, you shouldn't be so classist like that, Nate. I'm like, listen, you don't do that. That's just Wait, which, which part did she call classes? She, because well, I said, well, I said I was never going to go back to the craft house again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going back there. You know, I said it was, it's not my portion or something like that. Um, mm. and, and it was just like that. Listen, I, craft house is a dope spot, but that was too much for me. Uh oh. You there? I think that, hello? Yeah, I'm here. It's breaking up. Uh-oh. All right, how about now? Can't hurry. Uh-oh. Hello? Yep, I can hear you. Okay. I think it's coming back now. Whew. All right, it's back. Uh, it's still going out a little bit. Okay, one, two, three. do something different? Mm, one two three one two three i got i got all my wi-fi bars okay yeah up. i can hear that okay cool yep yep you're back okay cool so your thoughts so um listen when i first moved to philly i was extra bougie i don't even mm. think i realized how bougie i was um and the guy that i was dating at the time was a north philly hood nigga like, mm. um, and he would just tell me all the time, like, yo, you bougie. The first time I went to a Philly breakfast store, I was like, what is this? What, mm. like, I didn't, the whole concept was just like, like, I've been to a diner before, but mm. this was just a, a completely different experience for me. And I actually worked in a breakfast store a couple years later and that experience was a huge part in really undoing a lot of my classist thoughts and behaviors. Um, because I grew up middle-class black and surrounded by white people um, in a town that's diverse, but still segregated. And so getting to know like regular black people um, really helped open my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, and a lot of the attitudes that I had and a lot of the biases that I had 
Um, but I definitely remember like having that experience. And I think it was more so what you were saying before, just feeling uncomfortable, not being used to being in that sort of situation, um, not being used to having those sort of interactions and sort of um, feeling like an outsider, but also feeling a little judgmental because I felt that the situations that I was comfortable in were better and, you know, really ascribing a value to them. Um, but that's really interesting because, you know, I've definitely had a lot of those same experiences going to the, to the crab place. Also, uh, the food was amazing, Yeah. but I was just like, maybe you should just go and pick that up for me. because <laughs> I <laughs> Still here, and you just bring the crab back to me. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it can definitely be uncomfortable um, and a little bit unnerving, and just you know, sort of being in a spot where you aren't used to it. That that you you know, the type of interaction, the type of conversation, the just the the setting, the the background, you know, everything is something that isn't what fits with the way you grew up or the, you know, the, the situations that you're most comfortable in. So yeah, I get it. I still, I still go to the crab. I, I always do take out from crab house. <laughs> I'm traumatized to this day. I don't give a damn. I'm not going back to that spot. It's just oh not for God. me, but uh, I have, I have, I get uncomfortable. Um, just going back to the original point. Like, I think I have a fear. I don't want to say a fear, but I am, I do think about it. I don't like to look stupid. Nobody wants to look stupid or nobody wants to look out of place. Right. Um, I feel very out of place in hood bars. It just doesn't work for me. And I've been a, a couple. Uh, I have to have several drinks uh, before I can <laughs> start feeling. Start relaxing a little bit. Before I start. Yeah. Cause I, there's a hood, there's a hood guy in me somewhere. But I think it. I need about. You gotta find him. <laughs> I, listen, I gotta find him. It's about four drinks. Four, four drinks four, in. That's where you find. Four him. drinks in. That's where I think he comes out. But um, <laughs> on a, on a regular day, no, it's just not gonna work like that. Uh, but yeah, I I would say black men should absolutely make as soon as this thing Corona thing. Yeah, like I would challenge if you're a single black guy, go to these events have a blast. You don't even have to, you'll find that you don't have to get somebody's number or do anything like to have a very good time. You will certainly enjoy yourself and you can certainly right. find a quality black woman for a partnership. Should that be what you are looking for, which mm -hmm. something we talked about before, like educated black women. And is, is there still a struggle for partnership is there still like because the blogosphere has completely moved away from like talking about black relationships but is it still a struggle for educated black women to find a partner today definitely <laughs> definitely really yeah do you think it's it's still as difficult today as it was like maybe say 10 years ago um I don't know. I was kind of young 10 years ago. So I wasn't like looking for a partner and I was just, I was always in relationships anyways. Okay. Um, and I wasn't really, um, I didn't really have like a, a single phase, uh, an extended single phase um, until like in my 30s. And um, the struggle was real. It was, it was really real. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, like, so you seem to think that it's shifted and that it's easier now. Is that what you, is that what you seem to to believe? I believe so. Um, I thought that you know the way I positioned the way I, the, my theory on the, the black male black female relationship dating thing. I I liken it to I call it social microeconomics. So I looked at it where there's a strong demand for good black men from the perspective of black women, but there's a limited supply, or at least this is the narrative, right? Of, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of black men are go to jail. Some black men mm -hmm. choose to be homosexual. Some black but men- But black women do also. So I don't think that that really- I agree. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying, that's why I said this is the narrative. Like, I'm Yeah, like, but those, I know, and I always hear that point, but I'm like, you, yo, you're completely erasing all the lesbians. So that dating pool is balanced back out again. Because there yeah, we go. Some of us are gay and, you know, aren't checking for, for people right now, but there's men and women that are gay. So that doesn't, you know, take away from the available black male dating pool because it also takes away from the black heterosexual female dating pool. But okay. go ahead. And, and that, you know what? Sidetrack. I actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know what? I'll save that for later. I, I'll save that for later. I, I, and I promise I'll come back to that. But on my point, I would just say, like, yeah, the narrative, the, and because and, I don't know how true it really is. I don't know how many men there really is to women. I don't know what the ratio really is. I just know what the media can say a whole bunch of things. Christina, like, oh, you know, there's 20 black women for every black man. Is there really? Because, I mean, there's certain places I go to, there's a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes. You're like, you know, you go to Riverdeck on, on, a, <laughs> on, a, on a wrong Sunday. Yep. I've been to the Riverdeck uh, on, on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> There's For no me. wrong Sunday at the Riverdeck. There is. There are some wrong Sundays <laughs> at the Riverdeck. Oh, no. Trust me. I've been there on a few, and it's just like... It's it like turned into the crab shack. Yeah, it turned into the sausage sack. That's what it turned into. Because <laughs> there's nothing to do it. That's what you were saying before. Like, guys feel more comfortable in those elements, and that's why they have to, like, you know, try to attract women into those spaces. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Free yeah. free for ladies free until 2 a.m. and the club <laughs> the club close at two. You know, women get cheap drinks, whatever. So yeah. I, I think that's very interesting, but but this is the narrative. Thing. Those Go guys ahead. are not the ones that my friends are looking for. This is the thing. And so when you talk about like the numbers and the differences, it's it is really hard to pin down those numbers. Um, one, there's slightly more girls born, period. Um, okay. Two, within the Black community, you know, we see a lot about how things like mass incarceration have impacted our men. Now, surprisingly enough, Black women are the fastest growing group among the incarcerated. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the volume of the numbers is still heavily male. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those things exist, but there's still a lot of people left. Like, there's, there's millions of us. Um, I think that the point and, you know, what people are really talking about when they talk about how hard it is for um, Black women and especially educated Black women is that Black women are becoming educated 
at increasing numbers. We are the highest level of educated um, group of people. And that has shifted a lot. And so even within the past 10 years, to your point earlier, I think that it has become harder because a lot of women now are educated, they're professional, um, whereas their, their parents might not have been, and they're looking for an equally yoked partner, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and th there's not as many, like I teach college classes. Um, I've taught in three universities. There's always more black women than there are black men. And that's something that we've recognized from a young age. There's people that are doing interventions in middle schools and high schools because they see how black men are not um, performing at the same levels. They're not attaining the same levels of education. They're dropping out more. And a lot of it has to do with um, social aspects. Like it's not cool for, for guys to be intelligent and educated and interested in, in books and things like that. Um, but Horrible. that starts early on. And so educated black women that are looking for partners also face, you know, not seeing a lot of people in the spaces, a lot of black men specifically in the spaces that they interact with. Um, Avril Clark actually wrote a book um, called Inequalities of Love, College Educated Black Women and the Barriers to Race and Family. And she talks about sort of um, the disadvantage that educated black women have in romance really being, you know, coming out of the system of racial inequality and discrimination. And um, she uses a lot of survey data and things like that to compare um, their dating experiences um, to women um, from other races and also to less educated black women and um, finds that what happens many, many times, and I'm sure you see this just in the media, is that black women end up um, quote unquote dating down. I don't like to say that because it's a, a very classist term, but they end up dating men who may not make as much money as they do, who don't have the same level of education as they do. Um, and so, you know, that dearth of educated black men is really what we're talking about when we talk about um, for middle-class black women, you know, why it's so hard to, to find a man. Is it necessary for educated black women to find a man that has just the same amount of education or more? Like, does he have it's to It's clearly not necessary because we're doing it. <laughs> um, well, and, no, no, no. Uh, you can settle for something, but that doesn't mean that's what you want, though. Right. Like, and, and I think that this goes to a deeper conversation, but the just the dynamic um, in the world has been that men typically tend to be more educated and make more money. And in other races, that's the norm. That's what we're socialized to desire and to expect. And so for Black women, that's what they've been raised thinking and, mm -hmm. you know, expecting and, you know, one day hoping to find and so they're not finding it. And so they're having to reevaluate things. And for some of them, you know, it might be settling like, dang, I really wanted this, but it's not there. So I'm gonna just take this. Um, I think others of them, you know, have sort of thought through this and have said, you know what, um, maybe that's not something that I necessarily need in a partner. Like I'm doing all right, I'm cool. I don't need someone to take care of me. I'm looking for love, for companionship, um, for a partner. Um, and so I'm willing to get that with anyone who's able to meet my needs. 
Um, so I think it's a little bit of a mix of both though, but it, it's definitely something that's socialized for us to want. Good points, fair points. Um, hmm. Usually I have such a great segue into that, but you, you know, you, you close that one up really good. <laughs> it's very rare. But, but I think that um, I thought it was getting easier. I guess it's not. What can Black men do? What, what's the one thing that you feel that Black men need to know about educated single Black women uh, that are in the dating game? Oh, that's rough. I like, uh, oh, that, that's really rough because, uh, let me see, what do they need to know? What's, what's <laughs> one, date? well, if you, you know, you're, you're sending, you, you're on your uh, podium and there's a thousand single black men and they have your undivided attention and they want to know what's the one thing about educated black women that we should know in the dating game. Um, I think they should know that, um, black women are amazing. Mm -hmm. They are strong. They are resilient, but they are humans. They're, you know, and so I think that one thing that a lot of women wish that men knew <clears throat> is just that for modern women a lot of us are just looking for a partner we're looking for an equal and that may look different you know depending on who you talk to but i think that it's important for guys to understand that um this is getting into a whole bunch of other things that i know you have opinions on um but it's important for them to understand that women do bring value to their lives and that women just really want a good man and a lot of times, you know, it won't even matter how cute you are. It won't even matter, you know, if you got a master's degree or not. Like, can you love me? Can you take care of me in a variety of ways? Not just financially, which is the first thing they think about, but um, emotionally and psychologically. Um, can we talk and have conversations? Can we push each other to grow? Um, a lot of those things are what Black women are currently looking for and um you know we just we, we want y'all to make yourselves known like show us where you're at because we out here mm. and looking mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect that is the perfect uh way to uh to to, to wrap this one up um christina dr christina dr christina I appreciate you so much for being on this podcast. I hope to hear from you again and again and again as uh, we go through the journey. New Black Society podcast, insights into the world's most important stories, centering the Black community. Uh, Dr. Christina, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. See? That was good. Yeah, you didn't get to like most of the stuff on that list. We never do. We, <laughs> never, we never ever do. Oh, okay. Now, how long? How long are we? How long are we onto this thing now? <laughs> how long is this one going? Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm just trying to see. 
I think we've been talking for an hour and a half. My bad. It's an hour and 15 minutes on my timer. But I think you started recording like 30 minutes in. So it's a solid 45 minutes of, of phenomenal content, I think. Um, let me see what else. What, what didn't we hit? We didn't oh. hit everything. We didn't talk about Harrisburg. We didn't talk about um, the yeah, whole Christian the- thing. We didn't talk about feminism. There was a lot we didn't talk. We just talked about men not going to events. So, okay. I do want to ask you. I don't need to ask because I already know the answer. <laughs> I already know the answer uh, uh, about being afraid of feminism. Um, and this could be a bonus bite. There's a story I actually want to share with you. Um, why do men fear feminism? Myself personally, I do not. I because I have taken the time to educate myself. And, and that's the best thing that you can do, is just educate yourself. Uh, I have heard that feminism is really about a right for women to have a choice. But I think also it has to do with um, treating women right and just being empathetic and understanding where they're coming from, their needs, their desires. Uh, that's why I asked specifically, like, you know, what's one thing that Black men should know about black women or educated black women uh, because I think it's important to understand the perspective of where you're coming from and, 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 and what you're thinking about. But there was a story about why I feel it's a challenge for black men to, I think, uh, embrace it. Uh, and I, I thought it was very interesting. This is one guy from Howard, he's a friend of mine, and he decided to write this post. And this post was legendary on Facebook. I mean, this was the stuff of legends. What was the post about? I will tell you. So he said, I challenge all the black men today, all my friends, my brothers, I want you to write and type on this status below one thing that you know that you do wrong against black women that you will absolutely commit to stop doing right now for the rest of your life what is the one thing that you're going to stop doing wow and so very so, powerful no i want to know what did you put um i put no, no 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 i feel comfortable sharing it um i wrote I will, and this, this needs context. And I, and I, and I, it needs context because I did it twice when I was like 21, 22. And I had never done it from that point moving forward, but I just felt the need to participate. So I was like, okay. I said, I will not, uh, and then you know what? No, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to touch women's waists in the club or, you know, touch their butt in the club. I'm not going to be all touchy in the club. You know, I'm okay. not going to be extra thirsty in the club. And you know, I was not, you know what? I'm not even going to temper it like that because I had actually done that. And that was something that I realized, like, you know what? I'm being too, I'm being too extra. And I, for the most part, I could get away with it because I'm good looking. 
and when women would look like, who's touching me? And they're like, oh, okay, he's, he's not a bad looking guy. But it doesn't excuse that. So there's a proper conduct in how to move past somebody. So a lot of dudes, when you're in the club, you touch a woman's hips, you touch a woman's, you know, her shoulders, or, you know, you move past her because it's tight. But it's a it's an excuse to kind of mm-hmm. put your hands on a woman. Brush up against brush them. Up, brush up against them mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I did that <laughs> a lot. I did a lot of that. And again, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but right. you know, at the same time, there was a couple times where I kind of got that look like, yo, what are you doing? What were you gonna say? Yeah, no, no. I um yeah, club club etiquette is just, you know, kind of different. Um, cause consent just kind of gets thrown out the window, you know, with a lot of things, but that's sort of just like the, the, a different culture, um, outside of society. But I definitely admire you for, um, recognizing that and also saying that I'm not going to do it again. Cause a lot of guys would be like, yo, that's just normal. Like, that's what, right. that's what we go to the club to do. Women like right. that shit. Like, you know, um, but yeah, th- that's something that you know you definitely should think about like you know what 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 am I doing that may not be a good idea and let me examine and and stop that okay yeah so I I totally agree and I appreciate you saying that and I'm gonna tell you why so I put down that as my post and then uh, other guys put in their posts like I'm gonna stop being uh I'm gonna stop ignoring my girlfriend when she's upset or you know invalidating her feelings I'm going to Mm. stop uh you know, telling women that I want to be in a relationship when all I want is sex. I'm going to um, stop getting women's numbers when I have no intention to call. Stuff like that. Mm. So guys started coming in and it was like maybe after 10 minutes, there was a solid 30 posts by these guys. Well, women started seeing this post. (laughs) They started tagging each other in the comments look at this shit look at this look at this look at this look at this then all of a sudden some of these women started commenting replies on the guy's statements and saying you know you had no reason you know right to do that type of stuff you probably did more you perpetuating rape culture you're this you're that i mean it, it then they started making accusations when was the when are the men who are rapists gonna come out and say something? And then it was just like this whole thing. It went mm. from thirty comments, like the first fifteen minutes, first ten minutes. I think after a half an hour, it was like three hundred and like eighty comments, and it was just like it just turned into a fireball of arguments. And my God, like. What I learned from that was just like, there is a volcano of, a, I think it's a dormant volcano, but it's bubbling of trauma, anger, pain, and disappointment. And I think that a good majority of black men are terrified of that volcano erupting. Because yeah, the way- but I think- that white people get terrified of the same things like that's the same like if 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 you think about that if that post was made in the context of race and somebody was like yo white people what's some what's some you know racist stuff that you Mm. may have done 
intentionally or unintentionally that you're gonna, you know, pledge to not do anymore and white people started saying all this shit, black people will be in those comments. And they'd be like, y'all do this shit all the time. Y'all need to stop this shit. This is wrong. And justifiably so. And I think that um, a lot of times, you know, we've had this conversation before, but men don't, black men don't understand um, the ways in which that they do have power to oppress women. Um, And they sort of see that because um, they deal with the oppression of racism and feel that, you know, it, that it's not possible for them to oppress other people. And it really is when we just look at the numbers. Um, I think I was sharing with you before that um, Black women experience domestic violence at two and a half times the rate that other ethnic groups do. Wow. And 97% of it comes from Black men. So it's not somebody else, you know, beating on them. Um, And it's specifically because of that racial oppression that men experience that leads them to then look for other ways to enact their masculinity, um, to, you know, demonstrate their power um, and all of these things that are tied up in what it means to be a man and, you know, being strong and being able to exert your will and your power on others. um, Since they aren't able to do that in a larger context, the way the white men are, it gets focused specifically on those people who are, Um, more vulnerable than them and that tends to be black women and so black women have in turn a lot of built up rage and anxiety and fear over you know sort of this double burden I'm sure you've heard Zora Neale Hurston saying that the black woman is the mule of the world um, having to to deal with the oppression of racism having to deal also with sexism um, Mm -hmm. from the people that we're seeking love from, from our fathers, our brothers, um, sometimes our sons. And it just, it, it really does create a lot of, a lot of feelings. And so I completely um, can see how that post would have went the way that it did. Oh, wow. That post, yeah, that post wound up having like 900, like about 900. You got real, real quiet. I can barely hear My you. bad. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that post had like a solid 900 comments before he had to, he had to, I think he just made the decision to like erase the whole thing. Oh, wow. Because he was just like, oh my God. And he was just <laughs> what like, did I like, do? <laughs> like, what have I done? Like, I had no idea it was going to be like this. Like, the dudes were so, <laughs> it was funny. Like, dudes were traumatized. Like, women came at me. You know, women came at me like, like you know, you had no business doing that. Like, you know, you perpetuate rape. You know, you did. Like, it was uh, not what I expected. But it was definitely, I learned something really, really critical that day. And I, I don't have any problems with, uh, one thing I'm just grateful to God for, I'm, I'm glad that I'm, I have this a sense of humility at least. So I can stand corrected. That's my thing. Like, I don't mind standing corrected. Like, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, right. But there's one thing I really learned about something women, Black women, or just women in general go through. And it it really got heated because somebody was talking about, you know, when a rapist is going to come and say something. I think at that point, I got upset. I'm like, y'all taking this shit too far. Like, this is some bullshit. Like, and then they were just like, um, you know, (laughs) how come Black men don't talk about, you know, rape culture or anything like that? And I responded, Christina, and what I told her was that and this is the honest to God truth. 
never in my 36 years of life have I ever had a conversation with black men about rape in any type of way, shape, or form. Like nobody comes to the barber shop and says, guess what I did last night? I raped two women. Like nobody that's says what rape, that. That's what rape culture is, is that you don't, you don't have to talk about it. But two in three black women have been sexually assaulted. This, this, that's and more this than is, half. That's like I know. That's crazy. I, I agree. I, it and is when you crazy. think about that, like you have two daughters and the chances that 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 something like that would happen to them are high. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really crazy and it's scary. But a lot of the thing is that men don't talk about it, but they just what are it just becomes this unspoken thing. And I think that's some of the problems that we have is because somebody's doing this stuff and you've heard all the stuff, you know, in the black community about how people know that that one uncle, you know, is doing shit he has no business doing and nobody talks about it. Right. Right. And so this is the point of rape culture, even things that, that guys do sometimes that they're socialized to accept and to not recognize that it's rape. I was teaching, Mm. um, a group of 18 to 24 year olds in a GED program. And these kids Mm -hmm. had dropped out of school. They were trying to get their life together. They were learning a trade and I was teaching them to get their GED. After Mm -hmm. class, we're hanging out, chilling. Like I have a good, you know, good vibe, good relationship with these kids. And it's a group of maybe four boys. And they're telling me that um, when you're, you know, getting to know a girl and, you know, y'all are spending time together and you start touching her and she says no, that means you should keep going. Say what? When huh? you're getting to know a girl and, she, and you're touching her and trying to have sex with her and she says no, that means keep you going. keep going. Because, you know, girls, they, they always have to pretend like they're a good girl and so they act like they don't want it when they really do. And, you know, they're trying to be demure. They didn't use that word, but they're just trying to, you know, play hard to get is the word that they said. They're trying to play hard to get and you just got to, you know, keep going until you convince her to actually do it. Mm. And this, like, I was enraged. I was so angry. But on one level, like, I see where they were coming from, but they're still absolutely wrong. Like, there are definitely women who don't want to say yes the first time who don't want to look like a bad girl because again, we have these double standards of women's sexuality where, you know, men get celebrated for their sexual conquest and women are demonized for them and, you know, told that they're, they're trash and whores for having a healthy sexual appetite. So there are some women who might be like, Oh no, I don't want to do that. And, you know, giggle, giggle, tee hee hee. And really <laughs> they do. But it's not, it's really not your job to try to figure out if that's the case. Like, because if that is and you stop, she'll be like, oh, you know, maybe she'll initiate it again if that's what she's trying to do. But absolutely not. Can you operate under the belief? And they were headstrong about this. They dug in and argued me down that when a girl says no, that means that you just keep touching her. You, you know, do something a little different, whatever, until you eventually have sex with her. That's a horrible, horrible philosophy. But that's, that's what I'm philosophy. saying, that guys don't talk about rape. They're not going to, none of them will be like, yo, yeah, I raped this girl, you know, this and that. But it's just, you know, stuff like that that happens or, you know, 
I, anyway, I, I could I could just keep going, but I, I will see that's, that, that, that's no, that's the that's what makes the podcast good, Christina. <laughs> this is still we're still recording, but so to back to my story, what I was I told her like we don't talk about this shit ever, so like I have no idea who is doing what, and then you know to your point about the statistics, two and three women get sexually assaulted. And then there's a statistic like uh, a, a large amount of the women don't say anything. Right. Uh, they don't speak up about it. And so then my point was, well, if guys don't say anything about it and then women don't speak up about it, how the hell am I ever going to know that anything is going on? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're supposed to accept these statistics that women are being sexually assaulted. What the hell is going on? And she told me, it's like, look, it's like, you just have to positively assume that the men amongst you are rapists. Some of them are. It Some could be family members, are. family members, friends, acquaintances. They could be that. And I, Christina, at that moment, I have to admit, I was infuriated. I was like, how dare you even suggest that my friends, my acquaintances, people who I know are like that? Like, you, you know, you, you have no right to sit there and say something like that. I didn't say that on the Facebook. I just thought that to myself. I was really pissed off about what she said. And it wasn't until, Christina, a couple years later, I was at this party. And well, it wasn't even really a party. It was just like a get together amongst friends. And somebody who I know, had a boyfriend and uh, they had a child together and this guy he seemed pretty cool we talked soccer i'm a big soccer fan we talked soccer he just we just laughed it up talk chill haha he he you know everything was cool seemed like a really cool down to earth type of guy i look him up cuz he said he was uh you know, trying to become a professional soccer player himself. I looked this guy up, Christina, and he's in jail. And what is what? he in jail for? He's in jail for being a serial rapist. Wow. It was in the news. And wow. I said, I know this guy. I was just sitting on the couch talking to him not too long ago. And now he's in jail. His mug shot and his everything was up there. And he got like convicted, like he was caught on camera doing this stuff. And this guy was around my daughters. This guy was around my, wow. you know, my wife. These guys around like on my my wife's friends, my friends. And I'm like, that wo the woman who talked to me on that Facebook post was 100% correct. We have to assume that they mm. are amongst us. So I learned that lesson. Uh, but that's that. crazy. And crazy. the thing is that that's still very, very rare because the majority of the times when women do speak out and you're talking about, you know, you mentioned before, how do we know what's going on if women don't talk about it and men don't talk about it? Women do talk about it, not all of them. So there's a lot more <clears throat> than what actually speaks up, but there's a lot of women that speak up and people don't believe them. They, mm. it's so hard to convict somebody of rape. There's so many untested rape kits that are sitting um, you know, in the police's possession. There's just so much that happens. And even when we see the ones that play out in the public spotlight, 
when someone is accused, guys are like, oh, no, he didn't do it. That woman's just trying to get his money or she probably, right. you know, she she wanted to do it. And then now she's trying to say rape. And guys really, a, a collective of guys have this idea that women just um, like to accuse men of rape because they regret it the next morning or, you know, for whatever other reason. And so they really think that a lot of these guys that get accused of rape didn't actually do it. Um, so I'm really surprised that you, you know, haven't before that point had anybody that you knew um, at least have an accusation against them or something like that. But um, it's a widespread problem and we definitely have to address it. And I think that it's really important for, um, for men to think about this and when they see or hear things, even the things that, you know, clearly not somebody, you know, just going to be like, hey, want to rape this person? But right, the things right. that we talk about as rape culture, the quote unquote locker room talk, the, you know, passing down of these ideas that when, you know, well, when a woman says no, you just need to, you know, try something a little bit different. Like, men have to stop that. They have to call each other out. They are the ones that have, a lot of the stuff that we do around rape prevention is talking to the victims. Like, that, that shit mm -hmm. don't work. Yeah, you can't yeah. talk to me about what somebody else is doing. Talk to them. It's, sure. it's less important for you to teach your daughter how not to be raped than it is for you to teach your son how not to rape. That's where the focus has to go. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that's really important is just to be open, to listen, to learn, and then to act on that knowledge. Fair points all the time. I, I mean, that, that was, yeah, I'm glad I shared that story because uh, that was, something that I really learned but no I had never it, it never happened like I've seen some creepy stuff Christina um you know parties I've heard like oh this guy's a creep I've never seen I've never I've never heard anybody talk about like oh this person like raped me or this person this dude's a rape like I've heard women say, I know women that that's happened to, and then I press like, well, who? I'm not saying who, and I'm like, okay. Like, you know, I'm not here to gossip, but I think it's important to know, like, you know, what happened or who. It seems to be still, like, a very taboo still for women to call men out or just, like, like, if, if, if that happens, what is the proper protocol. And I hate to say protocol because it shouldn't be the burden of a woman, but if she's the victim of sexual assault, how should it be? How should what be? How, like, how should, how should she respond? Or is, or is it just completely- There, there is no way her? that a woman should respond. She should respond however she feels comfortable responding, period point blank that's my stance some women feel empowered enough to report it um, mm -hmm. maybe not to authorities but at least to people around them some mm -hmm. women do not um, and some of that comes out of the fact that maybe they reported it before and they saw how they were tarnished we have this whole thing where women speak up and then they're a hoe and mm -hmm. it's like wait what um, so that happens a lot on college campuses especially this is rife like I don't know how you went to college and didn't 
um, know somebody that was involved in some kind of scandal where, you know, something got out of control at a party or something happened. I just recently had an experience with a student of mine um, who was really struggling and had to come to me and tell me that she wasn't coming to class. And, you know, she just really needed some grace because she had just two weeks ago um, been assaulted by a guy that she was friends with um, in her own apartment. Um, and when I taught high school, it, it like, it really awesome. broke me um, because I talked to my students about this and the majority of the girls in my 11th grade classroom had been sexually assaulted. Really? The majority like, of that's them. That's just like... Like 70% of them. Um, and these are girls that are sitting in front of me, not, not a random statistic. And so you know, thinking about that, and some of them are desensitized to it. Some of them don't realize that it's sexual assault because rape culture. They don't even know, like, that should not have happened. They think that that's just the way things are. That's just how men act. And that's part of the narrative, and that's part of the thing that I was saying before about rape culture, is that it's framed as though, you know, oh, well, that's just how men are. That's just locker room talk. That's just, you know, men always have one thing on their minds, tee-hee-hee. And, um, Sometimes people don't even realize that they've been assaulted until years later, uh, until they, they learn more and, and understand. But um, definitely, I would say there's no one way that women should react to being assaulted. They should react um, however they can and do whatever they can to find healing. Um, I would love to see a world where they do feel more empowered to speak up, to say something, um, to report it, to make to you know follow through and and hope that the person is held responsible for what they've done but unfortunately that is not the case right now and so i don't blame women who don't say anything and i support women who do say something okay so clear up if you can for me the definition of sexual assault when we're talking about that we're talking about a woman who was forcibly raped that's no, rape rape is different from sexual rape is okay, under so please break that down. the umbrella of sexual assault okay. um but sexual assault is essentially any um unwanted sexual act so this could be fondling molestation um it could be rape it could be um you know when there's so many instances and situations. Um, married women experience this when they say no, not tonight, and their husband says, um, nah, we're married, this is mine. And for a long time, that was completely legal in this country, in the world. It still is in many places. This, and there's still a, a social idea that women can't say no, that they don't have that right, that you shouldn't. And we use the Bible verses um, there's a verse about women defraud not your husbands and teach women that they should not say no. Um, but yeah, sexual assault just involves any and all of that um, unasked for um, non-consensual sexual interaction. Is that, is that clear? Yeah, yeah, that, that clears it up. That clears it up. Okay, so yeah, that, that definitely clears it up. All right, I, I, and that's not just for me because I actually did need that. But I, it's good for the people who are going to listen to this to know that that's what sexual assault falls under. But 70%, my God, that's a, 
really, really high number. And it just kind of gets me thinking like there's a lot of there's a lot of work for me as a black man to do to educate other black men on this type of subject because that's really, really out of hand. That's that's really, really like that's very disturbing for me to know. And with a 10 year old daughter, I mean, even my 10 year old daughter has told me that some boy touched her butt. So, um, yeah. But that's the thing. It starts when when they're kids. um, And, you know, we just kind of get this idea of, you know, of sort of teaching our daughters how to get them, how to not put themselves in the situation where that hap- that's going to happen, putting the blame on them, how to, mm. you know, what they should do, what kind of clothes they need to wear when that's absolutely ridiculous because data has shown that um, it, it really doesn't matter what a woman's wearing. And most women are rate wearing regular, regular clothes, clothes, jeans, t-shirts, you know, things that society would consider modest. So um, that absolutely has no impact on it. And even if it did, even if there were instances where women who are more scantily clad are getting raped more, that's still a problem where men need to learn to control themselves. Like seeing something does not mean, does not give you the authority to take it, to touch it, um, to do anything. And so I think that a lot of those conversations are conversations that we need to be having, um, especially with our sons and sort of changing the narrative around um, what is acceptable behavior. Um, I know that you've probably heard about a lot of the campaigns around street harassment, because that's another way that it starts sort of, you know, seemingly innocent where, you know, that's just a thing that guys do yelling at women, um, you know, saying, you know, Hey baby, what's up? Sexual innuendos, sexual suggestions and things like that. The shit's not cool. It's not. I can imagine it is not. Um, No, (laughs) but that's where it starts, and you know, people we get comfortable with that, and we come to expect that um, from guys as a society, and um, really creates a sense of entitlement where a lot of men feel that they are owed certain things from women. They feel that if they, you know, spend a certain amount of money on a woman or even buy her a drink, that they are entitled to her time, to her attention, and to her body. Um, and we got to stop that. Well, when we talk about entitled, um, what do we mean by that? Like, because there's hope, and then there's entitlement. Like, right. entitlement is like, I bought this dress, I bought this these pair of sneakers, now I'm going to walk out the store with it. I'm entitled to these sneakers because... I paid for it. Now, I took a woman out on a date. I'm hoping that the money that I'm spending is going to lead to me having sex with her tonight. Mm-hmm. But I'm not entitled to it. Right. I'm not ex- so that's a, it's, an, it's an investment, and you're hoping to get a return on it. But, you know, just like if you invest in a stock and it doesn't work out, you can't go down there and be like, yo, hold somebody up and be like, give me my money back. <laughs> right, right, right. You can't you know, do that. You just got to take that L. And- but dudes can be, I feel like guys have, have to have a space to be disappointed, though. Because if I'm taking a woman out and I spend a lot of money and she doesn't want to have sex, I'm allowed to be disappointed, am I not? You're I can't be- allowed to be disappointed. That, that's a 
valid human emotion. And, and I don't think anybody has a problem with that or begrudges a guy for that. I've never heard somebody say, you know, you can't be disappointed. Um, maybe but you can't them to stop trying somebody. to buy women yeah, and not yeah. think of it that way. That, that may, might be a conversation. But when we talk about entitlement, we're talking about this idea that they feel like they are owed something. Like I did this and this and that. So therefore, you know, you in turn are supposed to do this. And if there's no contract explicitly stating that, if there was no, you know, even informal contract. agreement to that, yeah. then <laughs> you can't you can't have that expectation and you can't try to um, act on that expectation, especially um, because there, there, there was no agreement, there was no consent. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I do 100% agree with you. Uh, I, I think that um, I always try to say like, I get it, the whole dating thing. Listen, I don't, I don't I'm glad I don't have to deal with that shit no more. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't have any time for that. I, the thing is, like, I, you spend money on a woman, or you spend money taking her on a date. I only say it's a problem if you don't actually want to be in a relationship with her. Like, do like people ask me like, uh, do problem the guys have problems like paying for dates, or do they not want to do it? My answer is always guys have a problem paying for dates when they don't want to be in a relationship with the woman, when they're not looking for that. Like if you're just looking to have sex with her, you probably would be annoyed because you don't want to go through this whole process. You just want to get to that. And if that's all you want, you should say it. But dudes don't say it because the idea is women don't want that. Right. And there are a lot of women that do want that. And the whole point, I think we started talking about this and got away from it. Mm. But one of the whole um, points of feminism is men to feel comfortable saying, like, I'm down. Like, I'm just looking for sex, too. Let's do this. Mm. If, well, the sooner women get there, the better. So uh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. fantastic. No, I'm just kidding, man. Like, uh, but yeah, I, that that seems really nice. I think I was just raised to think that all women want to be in a committed relationship first, or that is their strong preference. That is um, what women are socialized to seek, and that, that's what that, they're I told agree. that they should seek. I agree. Um, and they're told that you know only bad girls or only nasty girls just go out here trying to have sex mm -hmm. and completely removing the fact that um, sex is a healthy and normal human interaction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need to talk to them, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's a good point. So I, I grew up thinking that way. So it's, it's still a challenge for me personally to like, actually think women just want to have sex like you really do like i don't know it, it seems challenging for me to wrap my mind around it but i've been socialized as well so i think you know we all have our mountains and, and, and to climb and battles to fight that is for another day oh uh, okay now we are we're well past two hours yeah <laughs> oh, not on this one the one before all right thank you christina talk to you soon all right, take care. All right, bye.
Thanks for listening to the New Black Society podcast with Nate Wilson. You can subscribe to this podcast on any platform podcast play. See you next time.